and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Coming up on this episode, we're joined by Kieran Kelly and BBC Newcastle's Matthew Raisbeck. We're going to talk about that Manchester United defeat and ask, was it as bad as it really seemed? Plus, much more to come. Now, gents, I didn't watch the game on Saturday. I managed to uh, avoid the scoreline until match of the day. And when we won second... I thought maybe Newcastle had been thumped. When Newcastle took the lead, I thought, hey, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. And when it got to 86 minutes, I thought, as they have done in the Steve Bruce, they might just nick it. How wrong I was. So the question to start, gentlemen, I'll come to you first, Matthew. Was it as bad as it looked the match of day? Because had Newcastle nicked it, the highlights suggested it would have been criminal. So was it as bad as the highlights made it look? Well, Steve Bruce said it wasn't as bad as it looked. Um, but with that good start, you were hoping that they would build on it. But actually, I got the sense after the game that it, it took on the shape of the Liverpool match at the end of last season. Early goal against one of the better teams in the league. And then they almost just sat back and we were waiting for the inevitable to happen. And ultimately it did, although it was still 1-1 with a four or five minutes of normal time to go surprisingly, given Manchester United's dominance. I think it was disappointing because you get a good early start and the goal, and you do want them to build on that. But you probably think that the way they were set up and the way they went about it was not conducive to getting a result. And by that, I mean, you look at the problems Manchester United have had, particularly in defence, in central defence, and Newcastle could have been more aggressive with the players they had out there in getting at them and getting about them, but they could also have been more aggressive with different players on the pitch. And you look at Almiron, who came on on 88 minutes, Fraser, who came on in the middle of the second half. You've got Murphy as well, who's got pace. Now, I understand why Steve Bruce probably picked the same team that did so well against Burnley with only Lascelles coming in for shares, the only change, but... You look back at it and it's easy to look back at it and that's what we do, that's what we're doing now and you just think, could they have done something differently and gone about it differently because if they had, there were probably enough issues in the Manchester United team to take advantage of. So I think that's the sense of regret that I feel that maybe they just didn't go about it in the right way and perhaps the team could have been different on Saturday. But a good start, they just didn't build on it despite having a few moments and a few chances. And it wasn't great, but also sometimes you have to give a bit of credit to the opposition and Manchester United at times were very, very good. They've got some excellent players and it is hard to live with them. Kieran, in many ways, did the goal come too early? I mean, what, a couple of minutes into the game. Did it come too early for Newcastle? Because at that point, you know, they probably then expected my United to throw everything they, they've got at the defence. So is it a case that maybe they just took the lead too early to, to go on and, and win the game how they wanted? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, personally, I don't think you can um, ever not take the lead too early. I think that goal should have given Newcastle a lot of confidence personally. I think the it was obviously a lucky goal, you know, an own goal in that manner. But the actual build-up to it, I thought, you know, I've never seen John Joe Shelby have so much space to, to run into and Man United's defence was was so all over the place and they're backpedalling and you're kind of thinking, clearly they, these defenders don't like being run at. When you have someone like Alison Maximan, who's obviously immense at doing that, you just felt there were maybe little bits that Newcastle could target. But 
I think he was obviously conscious, and I'm sure the players were probably briefed on. We all know that while this isn't a vintage Manchester United team on the counter-attack, they're at their best. And you saw kind of the last 10 minutes of the game where Man United scored three goals. Um, as much as that's Newcastle just looking tired and kind of, you know, picking the wrong moments, maybe Manchester United were so ruthless. But I do agree. I think it was a, it was a good time to play them. I think... Um, I don't think they're as good as that scoreline suggests um, but it's just kind of the issue Newcastle really have in these games you know the amount of shots they concede against Man United and Spurs I know Spurs have had s- scoring goals for fun at the moment but it's just not really sustainable they, they're, they're almost caught between two stools really Um I thought after the goal, they, they just start to retreat and drop deeper and deeper and they're inviting the pressure really. And um, Manchester United have those individuals like Bruno, um, Rashford obviously, who, who can really hurt you when you do that. So I think for me, it felt like, it's funny every time you they've won this season, you know, the West Ham win, followed by Brighton, he picks the same team. It doesn't really work. Uh, they had a really good performance and result against Burnley. Same team, admittedly a different setup. He obviously adapted it, but it, again, it just felt like, you know, back-to-back wins are huge in the Premier League for a reason. And you're just wondering, is the story this season going to be that Newcastle kind of move forward in one game seemingly, and then they're put back in the next? It's they're still very up and down, and that's kind of like a hangover from last season, really. Matthew, you mentioned uh, what Steve Bruce said after the game. We'll just play a little clip from his press conference and. Um, then we'll get your thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I think the disappointment is were a bit sort of naive towards the end, certainly. Um, but when, you, when you're playing against Man U, we had a big, big chance. Callum had a, a great chance and De Gea pulls off a wonder save. I know, I know Carl's made some terrific saves. But against the big teams, you know, De Gea's come up with, a, as I said, a really, really top save. It might have been a little bit different. The disappointment was, you know, to get beat four in the end, but, um, and we were a bit naive towards the end. We left wide open spaces behind us. And we know with Rashford in particular that, that, you know, if you do that against top, top players like him, then it becomes very difficult. So the one thing there that stands out is seeing that the team were naive, but it's no secret that might not have these players that will cut you open if you give them the space and it's not the first time that he's kind of alluded to the fact that the team is maybe a bit naive when they go forward and they do leave that space what did you make of the comments Matthew about the team being naive so late on? Well you expect that because Manchester United are trying to win the game and you look at the pace that they've got in attack and also someone like Juan Bissaka joining in who got the third goal and that's what they do. That's You should expect that, so you should know. Um, but Newcastle are also, with five minutes to go, in the game at 1-1. And um, one of Manchester United's late goals was, was on the break after a Newcastle free kick was ultimately cleared. And you just get that in games sometimes, don't you? You're pushing players forwards either to try and win the game or get an equaliser or, or pull one back and... You can be exposed at the other end. It's difficult, isn't it? That does happen. That can happen. It happens to other teams, better teams than Newcastle suffer that fate. Um, but 
in terms of being naive, well, the players will have known what Manchester United can do and how they go about things. So um, maybe it was just the wrong decisions. Players perhaps not in the right position um, when Manchester United were breaking or attacking. Uh, it really got away from Newcastle at the end. At 4-1, does it reflect Manchester United's dominance and the number of shots they had, the chances they had? Probably, yes. They certainly deserve to win. There's, there's no doubt about that. Kieran, I guess it goes back to the point about building on that lead. If they'd built on the lead that they got so early on, then you know they maybe could have afforded to be a bit naive at the end because they, maybe they would have had a two, three goal lead. I know that sounds really optimistic, <laughs> but you know the platform was there to build on. And as much as Steve Bruce can, uh, you know, complain, and we'll hear another clip from him in a moment about the criticism um, about not being attacked enough. At the end of the day, if he goes and builds on that lead, if his team build on that lead, then you know you can you can have a bit of space at the end because you've got a two goal, three goal lead, maybe. Yeah, it's um, you know you just look at the the chances they created ultimately, and um, really it comes to that Wilson one. You know, he rightly put hangs his hat on that because that was a huge huge moment in the game. But I I still felt even if Newcastle gone two one up, um. Manchester United still would have had their chances as well. I don't think that would necessarily change the game too much, just the way they were set up. Um, and that that's the frustration, I guess, is, you know, if as much as the games against those teams in around them are going to define Newcastle's season, I think if they do want to make that next step um, and, and break into the top 10, they, they, they need to find a, a plan for these games because already in, in the first few games of the season, so against Spurs, against Man United, the, the gap is, is is huge. And we know, obviously, uh, these teams spend a lot more money, but you're looking at what Newcastle have going forward and the points to being a work in progress, but you're almost feeling, is there another way you can get even more out of some of those talents, you know? Um, I think you find when St. Maxman is crowded out or when you look at their win percentage with him in the team, um, it, it's staggering the difference when he's on the team, but in the games where naturally he's crowded out, there should be almost space for another player to step up. Um, and maybe we just have to be wary of that over-reliance on Wilson and, and some Maxman going forward that Newcastle kind of need that coherent plan where you can get more out of uh, whoever plays on the other flank. And Joe Linton, um, he felt quite restricted and, and didn't really offer a whole lot going forward. Obviously, he's very diligent. He, he tracked back and things, but um, they're kind of missing that and Hendrick moving into the middle it's his favourite role but uh, most of his job on, on Saturday night was was doing a lot of work off the ball and he probably didn't come out of it as one of the players who had a great game to be honest so going up against Wolves on Saturday doesn't get any easier because they're obviously a fine side so it's really interesting to see whether Almiron or Fraser or both come into the team because for me I think it was just a little bit too late that they came on, particularly Almiron. I think Fraser admittedly the scores at 1-1, so you could say that's a positive substitution, but um, we've seen what he can do with Scotland. Um, he got a little glimpses of his partnership with Wilson, but I think he, you know the strongest team probably will have Fraser in it eventually. So we'll just hear now another clip from Steve Bruce. He was asked by Lee Ryder about... The criticism kind of on Twitter about the, the team not building on that lead. 
Uh, here's what Sipusata say. I think we went like that in the last 10, 15 minutes, and and um, and that and that is the that is the problem that you have, you know, because they're great on the counter attack. Um, and let's be fair, yes, I know Man United have been beaten six, but there's been some strange results. They were playing with with ten men for I don't know an hour or so. So um, for me, it wasn't a true reflection. But I can understand that you know the, the maybe that it was a good time to get them. And for large periods of it, for large periods, we're, we're in with a shout. Um, I think if you play too many forward players, um, then they're going to do what they did in the last 10 minutes. So, Matthew, what did you make of those comments? Because, he's, I mean, who is to blame then for playing too many forward players? Because he's saying there that's kind of what's going to happen. You're going to end up conceding two or three against Manchester United if you play that many attacking players but surely that's down to Steve Bruce what did you make of those comments yeah well there's one person who picks the team and it's Steve Bruce so yeah Um, I I mean generally about the criticism that Steve Bruce has been getting he knows he is going to get it when Newcastle lose or don't play well and they win which has been the case since he was appointed Uh, he also knows I'm pretty sure having spoken to him that there are some fans he will never win over who don't think he's the right man, who don't trust him, who don't like the way that he manages the team. So whatever the outcome, he is braced for criticism. But given the position Newcastle got themselves into at the weekend, 1-0 up midway through the first half after the early own goal, I don't think there's an unreasonable expectation for the team to not lose that game by four goals to one. And I think it is fair for supporters to think that they should have enough about them to at least participate a bit more in the match rather than cling on a little bit like they were in the second half in particular when Manchester United had all those attacks, had the penalty and then got their three goals. And Kieran's already mentioned it, the number of shots Newcastle are conceding. Um, Of course, not all those shots are ending up in the back of the net. And a lot of that's down to the phenomenal form of Carl Darlow in all of Newcastle's Premier League games this season. But um, the concerns about the approach, the style of play, if you want to call it that, although there are many supporters who feel like there isn't a clear style of play and a clear plan and approach generally, never mind for specific games or parts of games, I think those concerns and those fears are valid and it is incumbent on Steve Bruce to sort it out and put it right. And again, highlighting what Kieran said, it does feel like one step forward and then another back at the moment, a good result, a bad result. And you want them to be more consistent because consistency is the key and that's what will get you away from the bottom third of the table, which after all the results at the weekend where they are now, they're back there again when had they won against Manchester United, they would have been second on Saturday night and then third at the moment, which is incredible. It shows how tight the league is, but you could go one way and then instead you go the other because everything unravels. In that clip there, Kieran, he says for long periods of the game, we were in with a shout. Now, obviously the scoreline, yes, it was 1-1. Callum Wilson had that chance, but... As both of you have mentioned, you know, Man United had 28 shots uh, on goal, 14 on target. Newcastle had seven shots and just four on target. Carl Darlow, as Matthew mentioned there, brilliant couple of saves, the penalty save and what have you. So 
is Steve Bruce being a bit uh, clever there with the scoreline and, and kind of maybe ignoring the stats sort of thing, do you think? Yeah, he's, he's probably using his eyes rather than the stats immediately after the game. But um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I thought after the penalty save, you know, you could have just imagined the stadium full, the roar that would have had and kind of the energy the team would have got. And I thought to myself, you know, might they have a sucker punch in this in typical Newcastle way the past couple of seasons where they ride it out and somehow get a late winner. But it went very differently. And um, I think that's that's the thing. Um, a penalty save, you know, you could have seen the momentum swing back in Newcastle's favour, but they didn't They didn't really have a chance after that. Uh, it was Manchester United, again, to their credit, after going behind, I thought they might have crumbled. You know, you go behind after two minutes, but as much as that was down to Newcastle kind of not maybe pressing high and putting them under pressure, that old cliche, they stayed calm and they stayed calm after they missed the penalty and they knew they were going to get more chances. And that's the weird thing with Newcastle because uh, traditionally you'd say they're defensively resilient, but they're just giving away too many chances. I mean, I think we rightly are um, applauding Darlow and we applauded Dubravka last season. You know, Dubravka made 140 saves. Uh, Darlow, I think, is on 28 already. Both of them, far from coincidentally, leading the way in the Premier League in that stat counter. But um, as much as they probably like being busy, goalkeepers do, weirdly. Um, I think any manager should kind of be worried by that, to be honest, because it's it's not a reflection of um, how dominant you are. It's how dominant the opposition have been and how much you've had to rely on your goalkeeper. And I think that's been the common trend for the past, you know, whatever, we're coming up for 18 months soon. Uh, the goalkeeper is such a huge part of this, this game plan almost. And, I don't know how sustainable that is. As good as Darwin and Dubravka are, um, Newcastle just have to find a way in the coming months of, of easing the pressure because, um, as we saw against uh, on Saturday night, they, they just retreated kind of inexplicably at times. And um, I look at that Man United team, it wouldn't have been full of confidence. There are players that if you get close to them and, and, and target them a bit more, I mean, Maguire um, had one of the most stressful few weeks of his life probably and I don't think there was one occasion really where I saw him you know someone really getting in his face and, and making him think twice and after the goal he just looked so like confident again and this was really a, a confidence boost for one team and the other team kind of taking a bit of a hit and um, that's the frustration really because as we said Burnley I thought it was a, a pretty complete performance you know and this this was just kind of a, a bit deflating for everyone, I think, afterwards. Well, it is a frustrating thing. You mentioned there the lack of confidence coming in this game from Manchester United. I mean, Newcastle had zero corners, you know, and you would just think when you know the defence is a bit um, vulnerable, you know, De Gea has not had the best, uh, probably the best 18 months of his career. He's, you know, he's coming for a lot of criticism. He's made a few gaffes this season as well. And yet, zero corners. And you, I know Newcastle's speciality maybe isn't corners, but they do have threat when it comes to you know the defence who can get the head on the ball. Fernandez is is decent in the air, and it's just I don't know about you guys, but it, it was just frustrating looking back at the highlights, looking back at the stats, and to think that Newcastle literally just sat back after getting the lead against 
a Man United team that were already low on confidence, their confidence then was even lower because they conceded so early. And then they just allowed them to to just get back into the game and then obviously end up winning 4-1. I don't know. I just is How frustrated were you guys watching that? I'll let come off. I'll let <laughs> That's fine. Well, it, it was very frustrating because... They've got better players now than they had last season, in my opinion, and probably at any point since they were promoted uh, back in 2017. They have built gradually and in many cases quite slowly to this point where they've got Wilson up front, who I'm very, very pleased is at the club and I'm enjoying watching. Even on Saturday, you can see how good his movement is. He's always on the move, anticipating balls, and it really does give them something extra, something that was missing at the top end of the pitch. Sam Maximan, we know how sensational he can be at times and how he can be the difference. Um, but again, you look around the team and other new players like Lewis, I know he was involved in the penalty incident. Um, in my opinion, it wasn't a penalty. In the opinion of Lewis, it was harsh as well. Um, when he gave an interview after the game. But there were times in the second half, two or three times, he, he got away down the left and um, you, you can see that he's good on the ball. So in most areas of the team, they have improved. And again, I think it's right to expect a little bit more. I don't think it's because the players aren't capable enough. I don't think any of us think that while, of course, this is not a side you would expect to finish in the top four or challenge in the top six this season, that it's a bad team full of bad players. Yes, there are things missing, things we'd all like to add, but when you when you look back at the game on Saturday and having sat through it, and of course we're very fortunate still to be there in the current climate because supporters can't be, and even though it wasn't fun at times, I don't think we fail to appreciate how lucky we are to be there. You just feel that it could have been so much more. And that is the frustrating thing. 1-0 up against a team that has vulnerabilities. Well, go and expose them. Go and exploit them. Make the most of it. Be a bit nastier. Be a bit more aggressive. And I think that's ultimately what was missing. And that was frustrating because, as I say, it could have been so much more. I think they've got the players to do it. But, it, yeah, the setup, the way that they went about things really wasn't right. But always... I'm mindful of the fact that you do have to remember that while you're trying to do one thing, the opposition have their own agenda and have Manchester United, generally speaking, got better individuals than Newcastle? Yes, I would say that they do. I would not, wouldn't necessarily swap all 11 for 11, but even though they have their relative problems, they are still very, very good. And in many ways, the best player on the pitch, in, my, in our opinion, on Saturday was Juan Mata. He was just incredible on the ball. 32 years old. I know he hasn't been regularly playing for them this season from the start, but everything he did, he just did brilliantly. And when you've got someone of that calibre, it makes a massive difference. So they won't have to play against him every week, but as Kieran's already said, they've got to go to Wolves on Sunday, which is going to be pretty tricky because Wolves are another one of those teams that you might say are better than Newcastle. And that's going to be hard. So they're going to have to come up with something different to try and get a result there. Kieran, your frustrations about Saturday? That I haven't said already. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with what Razor said. I mean, I, I think the appreciate things take time, but I suppose the great thing about this summer was you're bringing in British and Irish players, most of whom have Premier League experience. So it's it's really 
to be fair to them, a, a lot of them have hit the ground running. Um, and it's just feeling that the the team is going in that direction as well. That um, you know, the on paper the the team and the squad's been enhanced, but it, these kind of games are are what you want to see more from from Newcastle because we we can go back a few years and and that kind of game plan of being ultra defensive and and landing a sucker punch and it just felt almost that Newcastle should be looking to move beyond that. And I think Bruce will say that's what they're trying to do we probably just need to see more signs of it um like i said i i don't think it's healthy to to concede that many shots i i, I don't think by changing little bits and pieces that should be happening and you go back to the spurs game they played five at the back then and they still conceded that many shots so it just feels like the uh cohesion isn't quite right and um in a way, there's there's a few parallels with last season. I think they went to Wolves after a, a disappointing result last season and they actually played pretty well. And they had two injuries really early on. I think Dummett and Gale went off and, and they kind of rallied and, and stuck in. And um, the, It could be a similar sort of a game um, on, on Sunday. You were mentioning before about the, the defence and how Newcastle often or previously have kind of um, wanted to paint themselves as maybe defensively strong. That's maybe their hidden strength. But I mean, they've gone seven home Premier League games without a clean sheet. You've got to go back to February 2014, you know, since that happened last. That's not good. And it, it, it goes back to me what you were saying, Kieran, about the fans in the ground because you get an early lead, you probably, you've got the fans behind you. you could You can sense them going on to get maybe another goal with that 12th man, that cliche. But also, seven Premier League home games without a clean sheet. Can you see that ha- happening without the fan with the fans there? Because obviously the atmosphere is different, and you know how important is that lack of fans in the ground? You think? I think I've said before. I think every team is is missing it. But by now, you're kind of seeing how inferior teams in Verde commas are adapting, and you're seeing these insane results. So as much as you know the after the game, the, the clip you play where he said, you know, the Spurs won 6-1 and that was a strange result. Well, what was to stop in this bizarre climate? What was to stop Newcastle win that game 3-0 um, on Saturday? I know it's it's a bit facetious to be saying that, but weirdly, there's the, the, the playing field has leveled out in a strange way. So obviously Newcastle would have had more of an advantage if they had their fans there. You can imagine after an early lead, as you said, but equally... By now, you're seeing teams like Aston Villa turn over Liverpool. You're seeing utterly incredible comebacks like West Ham against Spurs, 3-0 down and, you know, looking finish and they come back. So it's almost gone beyond logic now, football. And in a way, maybe Newcastle should be looking at that as uh, something not to be down about, you know, that... (laughs) you can gain belief from that rather than oh, the fans aren't there. I think the players are so in their own bubble now anyway that they've been going since, what was it, June or July. Uh, in a weird way, they're probably used to it now playing in these empty stadiums. And I think it, it's a huge factor for Newcastle. But I just think by now it, it shouldn't be this defining factor because let's be honest, quite sadly, uh, the fans aren't going to be there for a while. And if, if they use that as an excuse... 
um, you'd be worried. And to be honest, you look at their home record even before um, football went behind closed doors at the start of the year. It wasn't great. They had that, that sucker punch against Chelsea, but they, they were. It, it's kind of followed a trend, really. Um, and it's a real contrast to kind of this time last year where they were picking up some good results at home. So you'd hope they can get that right because uh, naturally you want to rely on your home form even though it doesn't quite feel like it at the moment. In many ways, Matthew, I guess, given the style of play of late, and we mentioned it earlier in the, in the podcast about people question what is the style, having no fans both home and away is maybe a blessing in many ways for Steve Bruce because, let's be honest, we, I mean, you know, we, you and I have been to, to our games before we were in this job and, and it can be quite, uh, quite something when things don't go the way of the team you know, from the, the reaction of the fans can be quite something. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise for Steve Bruce in many ways. Well, it can be, yeah. I mean, you look at last season and the start of last season, lost at home to Arsenal. And then I don't think they lost again at home until just after Christmas when Everton came to St. James's. And I'm sure that was the first match that supporters who got the half-season tickets free of charge took advantage of. So it was interesting that with the St. James's Park not at capacity, they were picking up points and winning games. And then as soon as they've got a full ground at home, they lost that one. Then they lost to Leicester. Um, yeah, the one ho- the one game that they really missed the fans in, in was last season was Manchester City in the FA Cup quarterfinal yeah. because that was supposed to be a Saturday night and under the lights at St. James's Park, they they would have had a, a much better chance of getting something you would have felt in that game. I do think they have missed them. They have missed them when um, things have been tight or when they've been in front. But of course, if things go wrong at home, like the Brighton game, then yeah, I couldn't. you can't see how that would have been any different with supporters in there. And I think it probably the atmosphere wouldn't have been great. Um, you can't blame supporters, though, for reacting in that way to what they see on the pitch in front of them. The fans only want the team to succeed. And whether they like Steve Bruce or not, whether they think he's the right man or not, I don't think there's any supporters who deep down genuinely want to see him fail because if he does well, it means that Newcastle are doing well. Relegation season, the fans wanted a team that tried, that gave everything. Well, we've had that for a number of years since Rafa Benitez was in charge and made changes. We've still got that now, um, but it's perfectly right to be frustrated and unhappy with the, the level of performance and the way some of the games have gone this season. So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything Is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at ChronicleNUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening. I just want to ask you guys about half time because when you're in that position that Newcastle found themselves in you would expect you know the manager to maybe give them a, a kick up the backside did you guys see any reaction from how the first half finished to how the second half began um, I mean I think there were two things really obviously that the the Wilson chance wasn't long after half time and that was one of the rare times they really got him behind and it's it's a bit of magic from Sam Max when he's surrounded by two players and he still somehow manages to pick him out and 
Wilson makes a really good run to, to go past Maguire. Um, I think Hayden's injury probably was a was a bit of a blow. I think it was like a, a, a you, you've share come in for a like for like, and certainly his passing is is, is welcome uh, in a game like that where you're hitting things to the channels and, and whatnot. But um, I think losing that bit of energy was, was a blow. Um, and that's not to say Hayden was playing amazingly in the first half. I don't think he was, in my opinion, but. Um, it just, as I said about momentum again, it, that Wilson chance just kind of fell against the run of play, and you know it wasn't long. Only a few minutes later, that Man U have the penalty, and even when Newcastle save it, it didn't feel like it swung back in Newcastle's way. It was just like, well, Manchester United now have 40, 30 minutes to to try and get a winner, and they ultimately get three more goals. So. Um, I don't know, half-time is, is half-time. I think you could see it wouldn't have taken too much for them to to improve on how they ended the first half, but it didn't feel like they'd been told to push higher or radically change what they've been doing. Um, but, I mean, Razor, Razor was there. He's good at spotting it. <laughs> no, I, I thought they would have made a change at half-time, and I thought we might have seen Almiron or Fraser yeah. earlier just to give them a bit more and, and the chance to put Manchester United under a bit more pressure um, with closing down and, and just generally pressing. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. And then they had to make an enforced change because of Hayden's injury, as you've said. And losing Isaac Hayden, I think, will always be a blow to the team because he is so important, um, especially in a, in a game where Newcastle are doing a lot of defending. And I wondered as well, it's just getting away slightly from, from this issue, but the decision to leave Carl Darlow on and not bring on Mark Gillespie when the game was still 1-1. Obviously, Darlow clearly wasn't in a good way, and we hope he's going to be okay for Sunday. Gillespie spent ages getting ready, and I just thought maybe that's because it's still tight, it's still 1-1, and Steve Bruce is going to make another attacking change. But the other attacking change was Almiron, after Fraser had come on for Joe Linton, and Almiron didn't arrive until the 88th minute when Newcastle were losing. So, yeah, I felt that the substitution was going to be made earlier, but it wasn't. And I think they probably, with hindsight, it's easy for us to say, I know they would have benefited from that perhaps at half time or just after. I guess, as Kieran said there, it didn't look like they'd been told to push up once they came out of the interval. And many of the, the criticisms on Twitter and from fans is that in many ways, it seems to be that if you get anything out of a game against the big six, then it's a bonus. But and that, to me that's not that shouldn't be the case you've got players like Alan St. Max from Callum Wilson who could potentially walk into it aside in the top six they are that good um, so you can understand that frustration where it does seem like the, the idea is maybe just to sit back absorb and hit them on the counter if you can we'll take a point you know um, and anything else is, is, is a bonus yeah it's it's I mean, I hate harking back, but I think when Benitez kind of set them up, it wasn't like accepted comfortably, but because they were so defensively rigid and solid and it was it was almost, you know, even if you think back to the Spurs game to start last season, the way they defended, it was almost, it was to be admired. But what's happening now is they're, they're maybe not defending as they were. They're kind of not caught between two stools, but the defensive resilience doesn't seem to be there as much. And equally, as I've already said, when 
compared to the previous years, they've spent a lot of money on forward players now. So you just want to see that extra level for them going forward. And who says it again, quote unquote, it's a work in progress, but it's just kind of how long do you, do you need then, you know, to, to turn that into a, a more of attacking unit. I don't think they're going to be a, a front foot team every week. Um, I think what I'd like to see from them is those teams in around them that we don't have a situation like last season where they were booed off against Norwich when Norwich just completely dominated and you saw a bit with Brighton earlier this season. I, what I want from Newcastle, I don't think it's as too much of those kind of games that they're, they're not, you know, you know, kind of grappling with it and, and that they're able to kind of take the games those teams in around them more but I agree with you I think the record against the top six some of their, their best moments in the past few seasons has come against those teams and um, if you go into those games as supporters not having that bit of hope uh, that they can do something on the big stage with, with the whole country watching them um, you know what's the point in being a fan and uh, it's a real delicate balance for him to strike now because uh, he's obviously not wanting to sit back to such a level, but equally they retreated inexplicably for me after going ahead. And, and that's that's why supporters feel a bit deflated because you lose 4-1 to a team that shouldn't have really won that game 4-1. Kieran mentions there, uh, Matthew, about Steve Bruce talking about a work in progress. And he, he told match of the day, I thought we were a little bit too easy uh, at times to play against. We'll go away really, really disappointed. And then it's a work in progress. But, and a bit like Kieran says, that's not the first time we've heard this. And it does it feel like things are maybe coming to a head now? Because we, we, we've seen discontent aimed at Steve Bruce. You know, he's always going to get some because, you know, as he said, he's not everyone's cup of tea. And unfairly, he's always going to be compared to Rafa Benitez. But, do you sense the tide changing for the worst now, or do you think this will, you know, the beat Wolves on Sunday, it'll be forgotten and on to the next game after that? Uh, if they beat Wolves at the weekend, then some of these criticisms and issues might just get put back in their box, but then the lid will be lifted off the next time they have a bad result. Results aren't really changing. I think the overall feeling from a lot of supporters or sections of the support towards Steve Bruce and about what he's trying to do. As we've said, for some people, he will never be the right person. And that's just the way it is, no matter what Newcastle do or achieve under him. And the comments about changing the system, the style of play, it's something that he's been saying pretty much since he took over at the club last summer about how he wanted them to be more attacking. And I think his first few games that there were some issues weren't there the Arsenal and Norwich match last season last August things didn't go well so he changed it for Spurs away and then they won then it was changed again for Leicester and Hayden was sent off and it was just a disastrous day that was four at the back on that occasion so then we just had this similar setup to what Rafa Benitez had until February time I think and then he went with four at the back and then we had that for most of the rest of the season, though it did change at the end with a five because of injuries um, and a lack of centre-half. So, yeah, he, he has wanted to change. He has tried it at times. It's had varying degrees, levels of success. I just think because they have got better players now, it's fair to expect them to be able to play in a different way and do it more effectively. 
Um, we're obviously looking back mainly at Manchester United. I mean, this season, Brighton wasn't good. Manchester United wasn't good. And at Spurs, they, would, they just weren't in the game. But seven points from five Premier League matches, is that par for them? I think it probably is. You look at their opening fixtures, two wins and a draw out of those. You, you might have drawn away at West Ham, perhaps, and win win two home games against Brighton and Burnley. Would anybody be that surprised if it had gone that way? Perhaps not. It's just the fact that they couldn't build on the Burnley win, build on going ahead at the weekend. And of course, we're looking at the reasons why and, and because the performance wasn't so good. But yeah, Bruce was criticised for saying he wanted to change the system criticised for saying that he felt that the players were too used to playing Rafa Benitez's way and when he has tried to change it when it hasn't worked and they've had a bad result he's been blamed for that as well so it's very very difficult for him I think to get everything right because he will not convince a large section of the support no matter what he does. Do you think that's one of the main issues there Kevin is he trying to please everybody or do you think do you think he understands that he's not going to be able to please everyone and he should just maybe stick to, to whatever his plan is. And I, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe you can enlighten me. But do you think instead of maybe trying to please the majority, which he's never going to be able to do, he should just stick to what he's trying to do. And and then at least he can say, look, I've tried and it didn't work. Instead of changing it every now and then and maybe listening to, you know, whoever on Twitter or, you know, what, you know what I mean? Is, is it a case that he's trying too hard to, to please everybody when I mean, he just, he can't? Um, I, I, I personally don't think he, he pays attention to the critics. I think he actually relishes being not stubborn, but, um, you know, I think it would delight him to have the last laugh. If that makes sense. I, I think he, it's funny. It was a couple of weeks ago. He obviously was a bit annoyed in, in one of the press conferences about it and questions about style and, and what the supporters have wanted to know. And, and he kept repeating, you know, the, the formation and the system. And he, he views it very much as I've, I've moved to four at the back. I, I want to play with, you know, one off a striker or two up top. And, you know, that's the first big step. And kind of the idea of suddenly that Newcastle can, can turn it on doesn't really sit with him. I think when you think back to Steve Bruce teams in the past, they're tough to beat again in your face um, and generally they they're, they're, they're pretty organised and, and, and well set up depending on the resources he has I know obviously his managed teams have gone down but you, you have the kind of stamp of of what him and his staff work on in, in, in the in the training ground and we've seen that occasionally with Newcastle how well they've defended at, at various points but um, as, as we keep alluding to it's, it's just going forward now what can He's, he's almost got the, the players, probably the, some of the best forwards he's ever had as a manager. Um, can he get that combinations right, um, depending on the opposition? I think that's probably going to be the key going forward that you saw against Burnley, how well Joe Linton and Wilson work together. It was obviously a, a smart idea to put Joe Linton in the 10. Put Joe Linton out on the right um, against Man U, it didn't work. Um, you know, you almost have to look at the team selection on a game-by-game -game basis because the teams are so different now. You know, when you play Brighton, the threat they offer is so different to what West Ham offer, but out of loyalty, sticks with the team who won on the open day and, and sticks with the same system. After beating Burnley, sticks with the same players, Barlow Sells, as Razor mentioned, 
uh, he does tweak the system, but again, it's it's just kind of almost like, is he going to have to almost change every week uh, to adapt to the team? You don't want to adapt to the opposition too much, but maybe there's just not this magic strongest start in the lineup, strongest formation. He's, he's just going to have to be flexible because the Premier League is just so mad now. We have so many different styles and systems that you almost need, you know, a book of, of plans to, to be able to cope with that. So just finally, um, before we get on to the, the great work by the community of Newcastle to raise well over £20,000 for the Newcastle United fans food bank, um, we mentioned Almiron there, Matthew. What is what is happening there? Because, you know, he, at the start of the season, he was on the bench. He came off a couple of assists, he, you know, and, and then in the League Cup, he performed well as well. Is it a case that he's fallen out of favour with Steve Bruce? He doesn't fit the style of play that Steve Bruce is aiming for. What do you think is happening there? Because uh, many players, many fans, so he would like to see him in the starting eleven. Yeah, unsurprisingly, uh, he is a fan favourite. Top scorer last season as well, Miguel Almiron. Um, West Ham on the opening day when it was Wilson and Carroll up top, I was delighted. And nothing to do with Almiron because I thought, look, that's really positive. I want to see how these two play together. And it worked. Uh, and it was it was pretty good. So you can understand if Steve Bruce is going to play with two up there, why Almiron wouldn't get in the team, even though we had Hendrick out on the right-hand side for that match. And then the same again against uh, Brighton, although Bruce changed it at half-time, didn't he? But yeah, Almiron not getting in the team. It is a bit of a puzzler because of the pace and the energy and how direct he is and everything that he brings to the side. I'm not sure. I mean, Bruce is not, I don't think there's been any, any kind of issue or situation, but he's looking at other players and different things. And of course, Hendrick, someone that he's brought in this season who um, hasn't really made much of an impact in the last couple of weeks after a good debut at West Ham. I think we will have to see Almiron in the team sooner rather than later. And looking ahead to Wolves, and this might be a bit naive to use a word that Steve Bruce um, used at the weekend, but if you look at Wolves, who were playing against Leeds last night and got themselves a victory. Very good team, good players. Um, you know, you can really admire the way they go about things with their manager and the way they're set up and what they've achieved. But on Saturday, I was just hoping Newcastle would be more aggressive and more direct and positive. Well, on Sunday, it would be great if they could do that at Wolves. And that might mean a change of system, but it might mean Almiron and Fraser and Sam Maxime in from the start and Wilson up top and maybe a 4-2-3-1 in that way because I think that could be the key to getting some success and rather than letting the way the opposition goes about things determine how you approach it try and set the agenda yourself because they have got good players and they can do it and that's what I would like to see against Wolves on Sunday including Almiron Kieran do you think he's Steve Bruce is potentially trying to just fit Jeff Hendrick into that team, despite the fact that A, he said he wants to play in a central role and B, he offers very little on the wing. We know he can play there, but it's a big difference from being able to play there and actually being effective on the wing. And that's no disrespect to Hendrick, but I think many people see, you know, whether it be Almiron or Ryan Fraser on the wing, that they would be more effective than, than Hendrick would be. Yeah, I think... It's it's interesting. He's he's played every league game 
And considering he hadn't played since March, you know, similar to Fraser in a way, but he, he arrived at the club two weeks earlier than Fraser. He got that first preseason game, he played a few games for Ireland, and all of a sudden he's, it's insane the amount of minutes he's had. But um, yeah, I, I think probably why he, he values him really is just he's one of those players, you give him instructions defensively and he'll follow it to the law. And he, he's a very diligent and kind of, Hard working off the ball player who probably, as you said, wouldn't offer amazing on going forward by that debut where adrenaline, I'm sure, came into it. Um, and yeah, you, you're probably looking at him whether he, he'll move inside to cover Hayden if Hayden misses the game and then Almiron comes in potentially because uh, I think um, they, they just need that spark. And for me, maybe one of the issues is Almiron, I, for me, is as best in a number 10 position. and think um, as well as Joe Linton played there uh, against Burnley, uh, it would be great to see Almir on play just behind Wilson. Uh, we haven't really seen that yet and he looked so good in that role uh, towards the end of last season and I think um, we've seen his attitude that when he has come on, uh, obviously against West Ham he came on and, and had an assist. He started against Blackburn had an assist. No one had a great game against Spurs, including him, but then he was back on the bench and kind of it's just been a bit stop-start for him. So uh, he scored against Wolves last season. I'm sure that'll be on Bruce's mind as well, that he can be effective in a game like that. And just finally, before we get into the food bank, Newcastle have announced their 25-man squad. Atu, Seve, Lazar and Aaron's miss out. As expected, I mean, I think we all maybe thought Atu might head off to the championship before the deadline um, and the other ones mentioned they can't seem to, to give them away um, but no surprises there Matthew I mean Atu's unlucky but as expected he, he's not in the squad yeah you're right no surprises it's everything we expected um, and the club have been trying for a few years now haven't they to move on on Seve to a few loans in the final year of his deal now same with Lazar and Atsu and Aaron's. They won't be Newcastle's players this time next year. Uh, Rolando Aaron's almost went to Huddersfield, didn't he? There's been some comments from their end over the last couple of days that uh, just collapsed on deadline day. So it's disappointing for him. And Steve Bruce's point about these players has been partly about the fact Newcastle needed to get some out if they were going to bring any more in because they will be taking a lot of money out of the club in wages. But these are contracts that Newcastle gave them and these players signed a few years ago. Um, but it's been about the fact these players need to move on and get another club to progress their careers because while they're earning good money at Newcastle, they're surely capable of playing regular first-team football somewhere else. And you would think that they would they would really benefit from something. So perhaps a deal could be arranged for them to go out on loan or maybe even leave the club permanently in January. Indeed. Right. We're going to hear now from Bill Corcoran of the NFC Fans Food Bank. Uh, in case you've missed it, which I hope you haven't, uh, from Newcastle United fans and even some Sunderland fans as well and other football fans from across the country have managed to raise more than £20,000 for the NUFC West End Food Bank and that was in protest at the fee fans were asked to pay to watch the Manchester United game, which was just under £15, an amazing amount of money raised. So we'll just hear what Bill has to say first and then we'll get your guys' thoughts to wrap up the podcast. Hello, Andrew. Um, £20,000, was I shocked? Hey, 
I thought we'd get about four thousand pounds top top whack really. Um, when I saw that it got to sixteen thousand, I was amazed. When it went over twenty, I was I was shocked. Yes. Um, what does it mean for the food bank? Well, in short, it means we feed um, four thousand families. But we're feeding that we're feeding those people about every three weeks or so. So it means the food bank carries on. It means we get into November. But in November, we're looking at the end of furlough. We're looking at um, redundancies, job losses, all the rest of the things, and winter, which makes this whole situation worse. So it's an amazing total. I think it um, inspired football fans in the country to know that what they can do in their communities matters. I think it inspired those people who aren't football fans to understand that football fans carry the community in their hearts. We care about not just the 11 men on the pitch, but the, the, the people in the stands, the families all around, the people outside the ground and everything. What about the people who gave it? I know a lot of those people. What we were worried about initially um, was the fact that People are struggling. People are queuing up outside the food bank in the rain, but there's people in the 39 bus looking out at them and thinking, my God, um, my job's not safe. I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. I don't want to see me boss because it might be calling me and say, don't come back. And then the kids on Saturday will be saying, oh, mommy, daddy, we've been such good boys and girls. Can we, have, can we watch the match? And you think it's another 15 quid. And instead of paying it, people have been going, right, no. The people at the food bank need it more than more than we do. I mean, as it turns out, obviously, who wanted to watch that? I certainly didn't, and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't watch Match of the Day, and I haven't watched the highlights, so as far as I'm concerned, it never happened. But I'm really conscious of the fact that kids would be wanting to see the match. They want to see Alain Saint-Maximin going after the Man U defence. Uh, it was all very built up, and people had the strength and courage to say, no, we're not doing it. There's more important things. And the Premier League and Sky sports or whatever can can go and think again um, message to the people who gave I just like to thank them eternally humbly for their incredible generosity the people of the northeast get lots of praise and are known for being great warriors great engineers great hard workers uh, full of courage full of um, hospitality generosity we know these things they're not often praised for their kindness just simple thinking about other people empathy Overall, what wonderful, kind, strong people you are. I thank you for for caring for your community, for caring for your team, for caring for your fellow fans. However, lads, one day we will get a team that reflects the magnificence of our support outside. Uh, hang on for that. Keep together. And uh, thanks so much for supporting the food bank. We will need more. I'm sorry to say we're going to need advent calendars, selection boxes for Christmas. 40% of the people that go to the food bank are kids. Uh, let's at least show them some love. And I know you will, as you have done in the last four years. So uh, there we go. Thanks so much again. Take care. Bye. There we have Bill from the food bank. He actually apologised because he said he was getting emotional uh, delivering that message. But as as always with Bill... Um, you know, very professional there. But the message there, I mean, what did you guys make of that, Matthew? Just a great effort from the fans. And for me, the important point there was that a lot of people who've donated probably aren't in that financially secure position themselves with furlough, with jobs and, you know, and yet they've put their hand in their pocket and helped those that are more uh, needing of the, of the cause than they are. Well, I think it's a fantastic initiative and whoever had the idea uh to do this deserves a lot of credit uh, because it is um, a very generous thing 
and that just sums up the Newcastle United support and the people of the North East, generosity. That's the type of people they are. And it's probably been difficult for the food bank because I know that outside St. James's for home games up until March, um, that would be quite a big part of what they do and fans and away fans would come and donate or drop things off there. So to be able to take in as much money as they did, £20,000 is fantastic. And um, that will really help a lot of people. So it's been a wonderful thing, uh, a kind-hearted thing. But we shouldn't be surprised, as I say, because that just, once again, illustrates, highlights the generosity of, of the people in this part of the country. And you just hope that um, the supporters who chose not to pay for the match um, because of the price that it was or whether they just wanted to give to the food bank uh, in, in any case, um, you know, understand what a, what a really good thing they have done. And I don't know yet because we haven't had the television schedule at this point for November onwards, um, apart from the first, first weekend, uh, which other Newcastle games might be on pay-per-view or if that will even continue. But would you be surprised if fans continued to donate and made their stand against pay-per-view in this way? Of course you wouldn't because that's the type of people they are. Thank you. And just your take on it. I mean, it, it probably didn't, I don't think anyone would have expected that amount of money to be raised. And it, the fact that it is going to feed what, like Bill said, 4,000 families is just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's even kind of, you can hear in his voice, he's still getting his head around, you know, the, the original kind of total they had in their head and what they ultimately raised. It's, it's been a, a tough time for everyone. And I think we have seen the, the best of the Northeast, as, as Razor said, in, in, in such a tough moment that people who, who maybe, you know, 15 pounds is, is, is a lot for everyone, isn't it? But I mean, to, to give it like that, it's it's been fantastic. And I think it's just turned a, a negative, i.e. Uh, greed of, you know, football and turned it, as we've seen with this, this Super League report that's dropped uh, and turned it into something really positive and I think Newcastle fans unfairly got a bit of flack from certain media outlets uh, nationally last summer over the, the takeover and, and their, their wish for a new era. Um, and it's great to see how many those media outlets are important, just how special and unique they are as well, because uh, this is a really nice story. It just goes to show what, what can be done, even when we can't be physically around each other um, you know, remotely, they've they've all come together for an amazing cause that we all know so much about, and it continues to. Unfortunately, you know, I, I, no one wants food banks, um, but it's 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 a part of life, sadly. And but it's it's just great to see they've they've had such brilliant support. It is indeed. And just to put it into context, so the amount raised for the 2018-19 season just by the fans' food bank at the home games um, was thirty six thousand eight hundred sixty eight pounds. And they've raised £20,000 in one weekend. Well done to everyone who has donated and we'll drop the link as well underneath this podcast if anyone else wants to uh, throw in any more spare pennies. Matthew, thanks for joining us, Q, and thank you to you as always. Thank you. To everyone else who's listening, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. 
So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thank you very much for listening.